Ladies and gentlemen, this is El Cochino, Tom Lawler, and I'd like to welcome you to the podcast that puts the lotion on its own skin, Lucha World. Bitchin'. Welcome everyone to Lucha World Podcast, episode number 119. Fredo Esparza here and making his Lucha World Podcast return. It took a pandemic for him, make, for him to make his way back to this podcast. Kurt Brown, Vandal Drummond, whatever name you know him as, he is back. How are you doing, Kurt? That's right. I, 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 I am, I'm doing quite well. I am, I am bravely facing the confines of my own home. Uh... <laughs> was scared to go out into this pandemic but i'm bravely grabbing the phone and just kind of barking nonsensically into it as most of the nation is barking nonsensically people please be safe during these strange days i, I like how when i like how when this first started everybody was making comparisons to like some of these far greater tragedies and how like you know and I'm not talking about necessarily the, the coronavirus thing, but like what we had to do to like actually like prevent ourselves from dying or, or you know, contracting this virus, um, just staying home. And they made it seem like we were like being held prisoners or, you know, we were. Oh, exactly. Exactly. Out of bands, people just, like, I know this is difficult for a lot of us, a lot of us, you know, we can't see as many people as we'd like. And you know, be free to find the I miss being around people. Yeah, I'm not gonna. Yeah, I'm gonna say it's, 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 it's tough at times, but we have to do this. We have to do this. It's yeah. not just our personal health that at stake; it's other people's health. If, if you're not gonna wear a mask for you, do it for other people. Because uh, I know there's a lot of people who are spreading hope, hope, hope. This is real. Take care of yourself. Yeah, and if you're listening to this podcast, you should be cool wearing a mask. I mean, you know, you are a Lucha Libre exactly. fan. You should be ashamed <laughs> if you're not wearing a mask yes. while listening to this podcast. Yes. I agree. If I we agree if, yeah. if we see you in a cost in a video complaining at a Costco or at a Walmart or anywhere else that you are not wearing a mask or that you don't want to wear a mask, we will shame you on this podcast. We will. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Well, you know, Kurt, so like, so since this happened, I mean, everything's pretty much been shut down and not just in the United States, but worldwide. And it actually affected Lucha Libre. There are very little, 
very minimal number of shows, and the shows that are happening are empty arena shows. Uh, have you watched any of those at all? Like any you know, matches? I I have not. I have watched. Uh, I have watched several of the UFC shows that are in empty arenas, and that's that's a little odd, but doable. But I'm having a hard time picturing what pro wrestling would be like in an empty arena. I have heard some people say that. Uh, AEW shows somehow are making it click a bit, uh, but I know other people say, like when they watched the WWE WrestleMania, that uh, while they gave it a good shot, it just is the ambience isn't there. It's, there's something missing. Well, you know, like with AEW, I think they have some of the like the the guys in the crowd, like some of their talent is in the crowd, so. There's about, I would guess, maybe like anywhere between 20 or so or more people in the crowd. Yeah. They're separate. Well, I, well, I, they're not like all standing I, together together, but it's they're all there. No, that's good. No, I told, I told you what I think my solution would be. I mean, you know, AEW, WWE, you know, they're not like 1980s wrestling where it's shot in a low budget, you know, at the boys club or something like that or the TV studio. No. They have all the bells and whistles, and in this day of CGI, I. Oh, let me ask you this first, Fredo. Are you old enough to remember those freaking twisted Sid and Marty Croft cartoons when we were kids? Not cartoons so much, but like HR Puff and stuff. Yeah, I remember that. I think that was like yeah, the tale. That, that was like very late, like early when I was like very young. I remember those. Yes. Yes. Yeah, so Little Jack Wild is in this land of freaky people in animal costumes, and uh, then there was Lizardville, where where Butch Packer falls into a land where everybody is a hat. <laughs> They're not wearing hats. Everybody who lives in that land is a hat. They're what? walking, living, breathing, talking hat. You know, and I, uh, I thought, I thought. You know, you know what's weird is that they haven't done it. Like I would think that like WWE would have done something like that, especially. I thought they would have too. Yeah, I mean, I I think yeah. I I watched some of the AAA matches that they've had the Lucha Fighter series, and they're in like an empty studio, and they actually it doesn't look that bad because it's not a big venue. It looks more like a studio, like like you know the old wrestling when you would watch it in studios, without the fans. Which yeah. I mean, honestly, it's not that bad. And, you know, the only thing I was like, like, really, you kind of start to wonder, like, wow, this is really, this is actually happening. Is you see this guy in a hazmat suit that has to clean, like, the, the, the microphone whenever, like, Ali Park asks for the microphone. He cleans it and gives it oh, to him, wow. which I think is pretty cool. But, um, and then they clean the, 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 the ring and all that. Although the, I think these were taped previously. So they're, they're kind of, they were, when they started posting them on, on YouTube, they were already, like, a little more, um, a little more prepared than they're like they they a little more edited yeah up. yeah and and they, they have the, the announcers are separated from each other um you know the, the the referee is not standing so close to the wrestlers during the matches he's the he kind of like you know gets his you know keeps his distance as much as possible um so it's actually, I, actually they've actually done pretty good except some of the matches have really been kind of like not that great and then others have yeah. been good but you know like i said that's that's basically what 
for me with AAA, kind of. It, that's actually really good because when I was watching uh, the UFC shows, yeah, I I I was a little concerned that uh, the interviewers and I guess Joe Rogan make a big made a big issue about being able to do this. They were originally going to have the interviewers interview the winning fighters from you know the fighter would be in the cage and then the interviewer would be cage side. Okay. Apparently, Rogan did not like doing that, and I think Daniel Cormier, if I'm remembering correctly, backed him on and said, hey, we've all been tested and we're all clean, so why can't we be right next to each other without our paths, you know, our masks and all that stuff? Well, the thing is, you probably are clean. You probably aren't, but there are false negatives. There are not false positives on these COVID tests, but there are false negatives. So I'm glad to hear that such a way is taking a little more yeah i mean you're not really you're and you know to be fair there's not a lot of shows also right now so these guys aren't like being around a lot of other wrestlers although i you know like because to me like wrestlers they travel so much and they're around other people so far more than the regular people that you know you kind of worry that they might actually get it a little quicker than or that or you know they might have a better shot of getting it than you know us who can stay home and not worry about this stuff. Um, but, Absolutely. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the bad things about all this off time is like, there's been like the majority of the news has been very um, obviously sad just because not only are there no shows and uh, we've had a lot of people pass away during the past. Um, well, since this started happening and it's not been a lot of um, people from coronavirus. We did have one death in, in Lucha Libre from coronavirus, but that was here in Los Angeles. And it was somebody that yeah. you'd actually, I think, did you get a chance to wrestle with or, or just you know, be on the same show, right? I never I never got a chance to wrestle Cosmos. Uh, yeah, his name was uh, Rafael De La Torre, but um, ever since I first saw him wrestle in 1981 at Hot Plaza, I always thought of him as Cosmos. I, uh, Cosmos was a really, really talented wrestler. Even before I understood, you know, the ins and outs outs of working, when I would watch him wrestle, I could tell that he was taking really good care of his opponent, but he was rough on himself. He loved bumping. He, uh, (laughs) I'd never met anybody else who'd done this before, but when he did the toe bait, it looked really cool. He looked like a missile flying through the air and just you know, practically impaling the guy who caught him. But he told me that, oh, I closed my eyes when I dived through the ropes, and he encouraged me to try it. I wasn't going to do it. But it worked for him. Uh, downside is he he had a lot of, you know, I don't know what his specific injuries were, but when I was wrestling on the local lucha scene and would see him at shows in his last, couple of years as an active wrestler. Yeah, I could tell his body was hurting. He, he still looked good in the ring, but you could tell he just wasn't the same. Uh, you know, in fact, I met him on the very, on the second wrestling show I was on at the Azteca Gym in Bell, California in 1983. Wow. And what I remember is he had just had a baby girl and he was handing out these 
little candy cigars that said, it's a girl. So for the longest time, I had my little it's a girl cigar in my, uh, uh, my gym bag. Hmm. And by sheer coincidence, uh, I don't think they had wrestling shows at that gym for another nine years. And that nine years later, just happened to be where Physico Nuclear had his uh, third pro match, and it just happened that Cosmos was in the semi-main. I can't remember who he wrestled, but he dropped his hair that night. And that same little girl, who is now nine years old, they did a little angle where she runs in the ring after he gets his head shaved, and she throws a hat over his head to protect her papa. Hmm. And then just few weeks ago, I found out that both Cosmos and his daughter both had the COVID virus. Wow. Which is just a really weird coincidence, those three things kind of being in my memory, uh, you know, all paralleling one another. The good news is she pulled through. She's, she's what, probably in her late 30s now, and uh, Cosmos was 62. How old was he? 62? 62, yeah. Wow. 62 years old. And he apparently was starting, was really sick, was starting to make a recovery. But, um, and I think we've heard this story in the news, some um, things went south. Uh, I, I guess his kidneys were in bad shape. They started improving. But then other parts of his body were shutting down and uh, he was always a really nice guy to me uh, in fact last time I saw him when was when you and I were uh, at that tribute to Gil Ariano when they were honoring Gil about four years ago and uh, it was weird I didn't realize that Cosmos and I had not seen each other in over 20 years and you know it was really good seeing him he says last time last time I saw you was uh Remember when we worked for that promoter, that crazy guy? Hmm. And I just looked at him and said, Cosmos, that crazy promoter is like three quarters of the promoter we worked for. That could be almost anybody. And he said, Oh, you know the guy with the with, with, with the funny with the, the the grumpy talk and the funny mustache? And I go, Oh, handsome Harry <laughs> <laughs> So that, that was the last time we had seen each other before. That was uh, on a show that Handsome Harry promoted. Did, but did he? Mo- he, is, he is a really good guy. Did he only wrestle in the in, in the in Los Angeles area, or was he like wrestled like in Mexico? To the best, the best of my knowledge, he was strictly an LA boy. Okay. Probably did some Tijuana shots. To the best of my knowledge, he, he you know didn't work Mexico or anything, oh. or, unless he did a shop. Here and there. Yeah. Well, I, and he was like, I mean, when did he pass away? Like in April? Yes. Yeah. It's May. I would say it was late April, yeah. if I remember correctly. I should have really written, written this down. Yeah, because I, I remember that's around the time everybody started, like, for whatever reason, there was, like, so many people passing away, and it's like, you know, and I'll, granted, it was a lot of, like, you know, indie talent and older older wrestlers, yeah. guys from the past. Well, we both. We both knew we both knew Lester, who we you know is supreme. Yeah, that yeah. was that wasn't COVID, but that that really devastated a lot of us here well, in SoCal. He, yeah, and, he is a really good guy. Yeah, and Supreme, a lot of people in Mexico remembered him because he wrestled in Mexico for um uh, for a lot of the deathmatch promotions down there, um, NGX and Monterey, 
and he that's right and a lot of the deathmatch wrestlers knew who he was especially when they would come to the united states or travel around the you know wherever he was wrestling if they were booked on the same show because there was a lot of like u.s shows that were bringing in deathmatch wrestling they would bring in you know obviously damien and you know the later generation of guys from dtu and all that so um they really remembered him down in in mexico and you know his he i mean how old was how old was um supreme I believe he was 49. Yeah. Yeah. And that's always, that's something like for people, especially like me and Dan Farron, who, you know, we were kind of winding up our regular activity in the business when he was just a rookie. But I mean, I remember wrestling him and uh, Joey Chaos on some of their incredibly strange wrestling shows when they were just cutting their teeth. And, you know, then, then I saw them you know, rise in the ranks. And so I know he's 49, that's middle age, but to me at 58, he was a kid to me. And so that was really hard to see. He, and it, it's funny. I mean, he was really into the death match scene. Yeah. I, I didn't quite get, that's not my, that's not, not my bag really, but that was his thing. But when I wrestled him on that show in Simi Valley, it's like people kept telling me, okay, now just be prepared he works really stiff, and I said, "No, he said." He, I, I said, "He, he said." I, I told. I said, "Well, he said he'd work light with me," and they said, "Oh no, 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 no! He's very stiff." When I was in there, I didn't feel a thing. Man, he took really good care of me. Yeah, so My, he, 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 could, he worked as stiff as you wanted, or he could work as light as he wanted. Yeah, I, my favorite memory of Supreme was that one day that we went to uh, what was a wrestle reunion, and. Um, that's where you saw what's her name the giant the giant Isis oh, the Amazon Andrea, the, the Amazon yeah the Amazon or something I think her real name or they changed it later on to Andrea something because of the Andre the giant thing or whatever but I think it was like wasn't yeah. it like Isis the Amazon or something Isis the Amazon yeah Isis at that point the Amazon because I remember how tall was she she was very tall but um, I remember like it was her and that tiny girl that's now um, Selena Vega in WWE She's with Andrade. Yes. And I remember, like, it was um, Conan came over to our area to, like, say hi to us. And we were talking to Conan, and she walks in, and Conan's like, oh, my God. And then you're, like, saying the same exact thing, but with a different tone. <laughs> uh, Conan's more like... Conan in, was like, like, oh, my God. Yeah, like... like that, yeah, I like, think I said something like, Oh my God! I don't know, but she can beat me into oblivion on any day. Yeah. So then we're it's it's us. I think Dan was with us, Paul, and a few other people, and and I remember um, Dan went over and asked her if she could take a picture with you, and she said only uh, it was twenty bucks for a photo. And I remember like no nobody offered to like pay. You didn't have the money because you had bought that. I, know, I was scrabbling, and all I could find, uh, find were $1 bills in my pocket. Yeah, because you, you had just bought the Destroyer book, I think. Remember, we went and bought the Destroyer stuff. Yep, and that's right. And so um, so everybody's trying, like, like doesn't have money or doesn't have 20 bucks exactly, or they're not really trying. And Supreme walks by, and he's like, he's like here. And he gives you the 20 bucks, and you give it to um, to Isis the Amazon, and you guys get your picture. And... And I, I, I looked at, I was so surprised Supreme was like so willing to like just give you the, you know, give you 20 bucks like that, that I paid him back at that moment. And I remember when you came back, I owe you Supreme. He's like, no, your buddy already paid me. And I just remember how like, oh, how cool. yeah, how well, cool he was. Well, that's, that's the thing I got to say about Supreme is he was somebody who, 
you know, I, I don't think I did that much for his career, but he never forgot it. He yeah. would even years later say, you know, thank you for always treating us with respect when we were rookies and, you know, um, you know, I know this sounds like a cliche thing you hear in almost every Hallmark type tribute, but the last time I saw him was that time when you and I went to the Superboy uh, tribute at the Santino Brothers show yeah. a few years back. And, you know, he just said in his very dead, deadpan ways, we said goodbye. He just looked up and says, I love you. And, uh, you know, that's the kind of guy he was. He, 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 he looked like the, you know, he looked like mini Bam Bam Bigelow, this badass, but he was, uh, he was a very sweet guy. Yeah, I, I I remember the other thing that I remembered about him was um, we were at that the very first time I met him was at that um, what was those shows that you guys did in Pasadena? I think it was Pasadena, the Fangoria convention. Yes. And yes. we're like we're like backstage, and I see Supreme, and obviously his look was very intimidating if you didn't know him, and I was like, man, this guy looks scary. And then I saw Craze, and Craze looks even even scarier than. Um, <laughs> And Supreme, I think. I mean, to certain yeah. people, he looks even a little more wilder. And I just remember, like, I, I, I walked back to, I walked backstage again from, you guys had just had a match. I went backstage and Supreme and, and um, Craze are talking about their kids or, like, about their family. And I'm like, man, these guys are talking about, like, normal stuff. I mean, what's up with that? <laughs> so that, that I always yeah, remember that. I, I remember, I, I, remember I have a, a very uh, clear memory of one evening uh, right before when we used to have incredibly strange shows and moguls in the 90s and there was Supreme with his wife and there's Supreme with their infant son in his arms and oh my god the infant son looked so tiny <laughs> with Supreme holding him in his arms <laughs> he, he, I mean the other thing I remember about him is uh, remember those City of Industry shows um, the BART shows um, they had him like I think they were working with um, I think they were working with um, those guys from CZW Wife Peter and some uh, other dude. Oh, 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 was that the one where they were working? Oh, with the guy that they cut their hand. Like... Yeah, they cut the finger. Remember, they cut that guy's finger. What's the guy that they cut his finger? I remember his name. I remember. Was that was that where they were using all the fluorescent tubing? Yeah, yeah. I think, but it was. I think it was I a show. Wasn't Darren? Wasn't Dynamite B involved in that one? Too? I don't remember, but this was like before that. This was before that. He was cutting oh, a promo. Okay. He was a cutting a promo, and he started cursing, and we're in the crowd. And, and and he's just cursing nonstop and you see like Bart like looking around like like very like um you know embarrassed because there's a like bunch of kids <laughs> there's a bunch of kids in the crowd and somebody goes to the back and tells Supreme to keep it down because he's just cursing nonstop. And I just remember that. Yeah. And then we went back there and Supreme's like, They got mad at me because I I was cursing the whole time. He's like, I didn't know there were kids and we we're just laughing. I think that was a show Super <laughs> Superboy was wrestling also on. So yeah, some good memories with them. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, definitely wonderful memories. Yeah, there was a couple of other people that passed away. Unfortunately, um, I think you might remember Sangre Fria, who wrestled in the seventies, and I think he might have gone all the way yes. through the early eighties. Yes, in fact, before I was, um, before I was had much awareness of the LA lucha scene, he uh, was frequently on shows here in the seventies. Yeah, I mean, because that guy, that guy, he became a star under that name, right? Like he was pretty much a, a not a not a superstar, but somebody who was a, had a name. Um, the the name was given yeah. to him by the Valente Perez, the Lucha Libre editor, the magazine editor, director. Yes, yes. yeah, he's one. In fact, in fact, when I started getting 
the Lucha Libre magazines frequently when I was like 10 years old. I think one of those first years he was on the cover. And for some reason, for some reason, that one stuck out with me. I, I, I know he never got a really huge push, but, you know, that's one of the names I remember from going back to my childhood. You know, the worst thing about those Lucha Libre magazines, the guy on the cover usually had no story within the magazine. I mean, which really is annoying. That's so true. <laughs> you know, that confused me when I was a kid. Yeah. Because I would see a cover and I'd say, oh, this dude looks really cool. Wonder who he is. I mean, they usually have his name on Hell's yeah, yeah. or whatever. But then you'd look through the magazine and, well, is that it? You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was that was a strange eccentricity of Lucha Libre magazine. That, that was a very kitschy you know, almost Warhol-like artsy mag. Yeah, but and, and you know, a lot of people talk about like Aptor, how like the Aptor mags, they would make stars. Lucha Libre magazine legitimately like made stars. You know, the, the guy who was the director of that magazine created characters, Sangrafria being uh, one of them. Valente, Valente Perez. Yeah, yeah. He made the Sangrafria character uh, and then he did the Hermanos Muerte also. That this guy I would later mean, become I one. I understand, didn't he? Wasn't he also the the machine behind the monsters? Yeah, yeah, a lot of characters. Yeah, he was. It's amazing. Yeah, no, no, he makes Bill after look like an indie promoter in comparison. Uh, yeah, that magazine did make stars. Yeah. Too bad the content wasn't that particularly strong. <laughs> yeah, if you wanted good content, you go to Boxy Lucha. Yeah. If you want kitsch, if you want art, you go to Lucha Libre. If you want data, you go to Box. Lucha. And you knew Lucha Libre, like whoever they didn't like, they would constantly rip on that person, like be it a wrestler or promoter. They con they would actually like always like there was always like a cheap shot directed at somebody, uh, which is very it unfortunate. Got really weird. And yeah. It got really weird in the eighties when Benjamin Mora, uh, I believe he was yes. the one behind the magazine. Yes. Uh, and when. They were promoting in 86, 87 at the Olympic Auditorium. They were promoting with, they were co-promoting with uh, some American promoters. And there was a big falling out. And I can't remember the details, but the American promoters were still promoting Lucha at the Olympic Auditorium. This was shortly after the Santo Casas mass match in 87. Um... And I don't know, I have no idea what the falling out was about, whose fault it was. But Pat Owen was looking through a Lucha mag, a Lucha Libre mag, and I see him just looking confused, like, this is weird. And I'm going, what's that? Well, they're talking about, like, the promoter in Los Angeles who betrayed us and emphasized that he's a Jew. <laughs> and it's just like, whoa. <laughs> Well, I mean, you, yeah, you know, Lucha Libre, you know how it is with them. Like, with, they still talk about, like, they still are coming up with characters post-World War II about, you know, El Nazi, September Negro. El Nazi, yes. at one point, was a baby face. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, you remember the Taliban's later on the with uh, Scorpio Jr. and That's all those right. guys. Yeah, Bestia, the, Bestia Salvaje, Emilio Charles Jr. That was actually a funny group, though, to be fair, but... That was uh, a funny group. But poor, done in poor taste, but but a funny group. Uh, done in poor taste, but yeah, yeah, I don't know if you know what the punchline was. Weren't they coming out in trench coats after Columbine? I wasn't that the Dinamitas. 
but the dynamite, the yeah, the dynamite right. is always war trench coat. Well, but I think they, it kind of became more, it became more noticeable after that too. Yeah, but the funny part is, you know, that whole thing about the trench coat mafia was a Columbine myth. Yeah, it was just a wild imagination of a student. There was no trench coat mafia. <laughs> They just want to make the story a little bit crazier. Um, someone yeah, exactly. else, someone else who passed away was a wrestler who was known as Mohawk during the seventies and eighties. Um, he actually wrestled oh, for the Super Libres of Pabellón Azteca. So um, he was actually a pretty known name. Teamed up with the Mohicanos, which is pretty much what. Yeah, he's one I'm actually pretty uh, unfamiliar with. I mean, I. I, I known of him but i know almost nothing about him yeah then he became the original bandito back in the late 80s um interesting he was actually one of the early he was kind of one of those veterans that they brought into um triple a to work with the younger guys and one of the guys he got to work with was ray mysterio jr and he actually lost his mask to ray mysterio jr one of the first mask oh, matches cool. yeah so he actually had a pretty good career i mean the fact that he was part of the super libres alone kind of makes him makes it some somebody you want to look up more on just because that that group was very interesting um oh absolutely yeah another wrestler that passed away on may 15th um discovery i don't know if you did you did you ever watch discovery um he was in triple a he wrestled in triple a for the as part of the cadetes del espacio and the power raiders between 1994 and 1995 and then in the i think probably in the early 2000s he ended up going to chicago and he became a you know obviously to continue wrestling he did lucha libre i think he would go back and forth to mexico to chicago there's a lot of guys who do that a lot like you'll hear like a luchador will like disappear and you find out later on that he was living in minnesota and you ask yourself why minnesota and it's like because there's a lot of like i guess they get construction work or you know an opportunity yeah or some type of work that they could get and um they also loot. They also wrestle in those areas, and Chicago is one of those places like that where you hear like I think like we um, Doctor Cerebro. Remember we talked to him a couple of years ago. He was doing that also for for a couple of years. While well, Discovery did that, but he actually ended up staying in Chicago and became a trainer in in that area for the some of the promotions there, like Galley, and um, he actually helped train um, Callisto, who's in WWE, and. Even like uh, a lot of the local guys, uh, I'm trying to remember who else. Uh, remember Zima Ion? He helped train him. Yeah. He well, he didn't. He trained him like afterwards, but he trained him in lucha libre. So he was around for a while. He was actually pretty good too. Like that that whole group of cadetes del espacio and power raiders. You know the high flying, you know guys who come in for triple A. Yeah. Don't get a lot of you know people like to knock them because they're high flying. And they start questioning whether or not they're good wrestlers, but they end up being really good. And actually, Discovery actually wrestled in the Toreo time. Um, he was in the like the late '80s, early '90s Toreo as Gama. Yeah, so. I was totally. I was totally embarrassed uh, to because <laughs> I saw the announcement of Discovery on I believe it was Cauliflower Alley's mm-hmm. website, and I just sat there saying I should know who this guy is, and I don't. <laughs> yeah, there's there's so many. You know, there's a lot of guys like that were. That's one of the unfortunate things, like, because they rust, there's, you know, there's so many wrestlers and so many luchadors that you kind of, like, lose track of who, 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 unless they're, like, a big star or big name, it's kind of hard to keep track of everyone. Or if they're not actually involved, yeah. they're not being and, interviewed. And also, a lot of these, these guys, especially ones who live, who moved to, say, Chicago or Minnesota, 
I think it's cool that kind of in the spirit of guys like El Moro and Gil Arellano yeah. here in Los Angeles, they said, hey, let's get some wrestling going. Let's start a, you know, let's start a little league here. And in the case here in L.A., it turned into a community that's been going for 50 years plus now. Yeah, I think there's somebody in the Northwest that also did that, that moved from... Mexico to that area and he started training he didn't start the promotion but he was training and then like Texas obviously is another place where you get a lot of that because guys obviously yes, yeah, but it, yeah. in the northwest there's I, I, I from what I understand there's been a little you know a, a huge Latino um, uh, migration up there you know there's a lot of work up there and so I think it's cool that hey they're getting some lucha up there too you know getting, getting the community going that's awesome yeah, you know it's, yeah, it's, it's been. It, hopefully, there's some rustling at some point because this is kind of like this is the part where talking about people passing away is like very depressing. <laughs> oh, it is. Yeah. It is, and you know, I'm I'm a people person, and you know what I, you know what, right now I'm missing more than anything is I miss us being able to go to that little arena, yes, Avenue in L.A. and just 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 hanging out with our pod race and just kind of you know just watching some good back alley lucha libre and sit, sitting sitting for 45 minutes listening to some mexican guy who might be a a famous singer that we don't know during intermission <laughs> we have no idea if this guy could be famous he could be just one some dude walking in you know they could he could have fooled everybody into thinking he's some famous music uh, mexican singer and nobody knows they give him a mic he's there singing for 45 minutes during intermission and we don't know. That was such a surreal experience. And then there was that spirit lady uh, dressed like a fawn or something like yeah, that. Yeah, what was that? <laughs> that was a great night. That, that, was a, that was the last Lucha show we went to. That sucks. <laughs> it is. It is. Yeah. And it's probably going to be the last one we go to for a while. Yes. That's what I'm thinking. Like, I, I, keep, like a, I keep seeing people... <laughs> I keep seeing people trying to be positive about this stuff. It's like, I don't know. I don't think we're going to be going anywhere. Like, unless there's like wrestling for like 10 people and we could actually go to that. I'm not sure. I'm not sure there's going to be anything open for a while. Exactly. I, I think we're going to have to wait till the coast is clear. And, you know, it, it's there's still so much we don't know about uh, yeah. this virus that we're going to be having to take precautions for a while. It, it could be... It could be five months, it could be ten months, I don't know, but, you know, it's important that not only do we keep ourselves safe, but our families and our friends safe, too. Yeah, and that's also why they're not running shows. I mean, you can't really can't really do that without, you know, risking people attending, you know. It's not just us, it's everybody that goes to these shows. For Exactly, and I mean, there's, there's like, you know, there's, you know, the last couple of weeks, people started gathering on all the beaches of Orange County and a few weeks later now the Orange County uh, virus cases has spiked. They've yeah. gone up like not just a little significantly and you know so yeah I, I, I miss being in crowds I miss being at Lucha shows I, you know, I'm missing all my other friends too but you know we gotta do what we gotta do this is a good time if you you know want to start writing want to start corresponding with your friends and calling friends on the phone man this is the best time to do so make that connection just just don't do what alberto patron did this during this <laughs> pandemic <laughs> okay let me ask this <laughs> do you think there's a possibility 
that he'll be on the next season of Dark Side of the Ring. <laughs> you know, I mean, he was in WWF long enough. Yeah, he could probably make the appearance. Have you have you watched the, some of the episodes? Have you watched most of them, all of them, or, or none? I watched. Um, okay, let me think of the ones I watched. I watched the one on Gino Hernandez. That yes. was the one that fascinated me most of all of them. I, and actually, I think that's the one I probably enjoyed the most. Yeah. Uh, the Road Warriors one, it was interesting, but it didn't, you know, compared to the other episodes, eh. I didn't watch the Montreal one just because I heard that story a jillion times, and I did watch the Owen Hart one last night. Oh, and I definitely watched the Herb Abrams one. Yeah, the Herb Abrams one was wild, but... But you, oh, that's one where you want to get a big Coke and a big tub of popcorn and just sit back and watch that one. Yeah, because I, I was trying to think. I was trying to think of the Road Warriors one actually, like, would qualify. Because I mean, I understand that you know, obviously Hawk passing away, so I guess that would qualify for that. But it's like the rest of it was like they didn't really. It wasn't. They really didn't go through a lot of rough patches in their. You know, it wasn't. It wasn't it, as dark. It, it wasn't that different. It wasn't that different from other wrestlers who go through bouts of, you know, dealing with drugs, alcohol, or you know, dysfunctional families, whatever. It it didn't stand out compared to the others. I mean, they're Herb Abrams. That's a unique story, you know. That, yeah. That's like Jack Becker on Bedamins. So, do you think the Alberto story fits into this? The 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 whatever they're. What what their criteria oh is to to have it? Because yeah, I think he I probably mean, just, just just think of it. This is a guy who got into a pretty brutal fist fight with his own brother. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> in, um, in Germany this too. Is guy, this is the guy who, when you read about all the dysfunction, was it Paige he was with? Yes. The woman he was, yeah. Well, the yeah. the the one before. Think about that. Well, I mean, you just think of this one. Yeah, it was the one before this. But it's like it, it's if you really—I mean, for, I kept thinking, it, would he qualify for a dark side of the ring? And it's like, well, ever since 2014, when he left, the, the way he left WWE, where it was like the—he, I think he slapped the guy, Denny, the the guy who said um, the racist remark. Oh, who made who made a joke about about inferring that he was like like the bus boy? Or yeah, something. he slapped him, right? And then he slapped the guy. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so so there, that right there is probably enough for like the first fifteen minutes of the show. Um, so yes. so I I would guess he probably does qualify because the whole page thing was really weird. And then he remember he beat up that Ninja Turtle in Mexico. Uh, oh yes. So there's more, and then like the whole his whole career afterwards, all the stuff that he's done, like the the blunders he's had. And that disastrous, like disastrous match with Tito Ortiz. I mean, yeah. I know that I know that's a drop in the ocean compared to the way he's treating women, but just to show how far his career fell fell to, you know, have this sham of a match and just get his lunch fed to him by one of the most you know, one of the most I don't want to use the term washed up, but Tito Ortiz would get his lunch fed to him by any, you know, contemporary fighter. Plus, and then remember that story from like when he was in CMLL, when that story came out that one of Mystico's friends pulled a gun out on him. Yes, I, I mean, about that. I mean, we don't know if we, I, I don't know if 
that's the only problem like if, if you ask like the luchadors they're never gonna want to say like anything because they're they still very much kayfabe it's like they don't they don't even like to say who's their worst opponent i mean they're everybody's good uh so it's like they're kind of they're gentlemanly about it yeah so so it's like you would have to find somebody who would be willing to like you know spill the beans on that but i i think he probably disqualified then all the the you know impact how he, the falling out with impact how that came about there's a lot of bad stories so i guess he would qualify and this most recent story is so like so bad Matt, you know what fredo i think i think he would qualify for a two-part episode <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> well you know it, it's it it's just amazing this guy like if if you go back six years ago this guy would have been in demand right now, like if if we were talking about like AEW and all that. And look at now, nobody wants him. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants him. Like it, uh, other than AAA, always being having an open mind to bringing him back. Nobody else wants to bring yeah. him in. It's like it's it's crazy how somebody who was a former WWE star can fall off the you know fall off the rails that badly. It's amazing. And it sounds yeah, and it sounds like somebody who initially was mapping out his career intelligently and then just lost his lost his mind yeah yeah i think and i think he does qualify just because his story qualifies just because it's ongoing like it's not just one incident it's like there's still more going on that is actually just yeah, like this, this yeah probably is not the final chapter yeah let's i mean hopefully he cleans like he fit he gets it it gets himself straight because this is really kind of like you can't be every year you know, every year it's like there's an Alberto story, and it's not good. Oh, yeah, and, and well, in this one, this one, I don't know how it's going to play out in the courts, but yeah. this is one where he could do some significant time. And if he's guilty of what he's saying, or what they're accusing him of, yes. deservedly so. Yeah. So speaking of other stories that have happened in Lucha Libre, uh, I guess we could call this the dark side of Lucha. Uh, just some stories that from over the past... What is it? However long CMLL claims Lucha Libre has ex- existed, 80-something, 80-plus years. Uh, do you have a specific um, story that you think would actually qualify for this show that you would actually, like, see the, see them kind of, like, you know, look back to and, you know, introduce to the fans? Because, I mean, honestly, all these, all these stories would be introduced to a new a- audience because I don't think anybody really knows a, a lot of Lucha Libre. No, that's true. I think I think there would be appeal to it. Yeah. I think there's a lot of good stories to tell, and not and I don't mean in just a salacious National Enquirer type of way. This is part of the business, and I think you know. I, I think how do I say this? I remember growing growing up when I was a kid. You know, it, it was you don't say anything bad about wrestling. You don't see anything bad yeah. about the wrestlers. K. Saberu. You paint, you paint us as these big teddy bears and Boy Scouts, and uh, of course, Boy Scouts isn't probably the most uh, clean image anymore either. But uh, um, it it's a part of the business, and I think the only way you that you could really tell the story about wrestling is to show the wondrous things about it, the good things. But you really have to show the dark side about it warts and all because it is a part of the real history of the business and i know back in the days of cafe they said no you don't talk about this stuff ever well then all you're going to get is a fictionalized version of pro wrestling 
history. And in order for the fascinating history of pro wrestling to truly be told, kayfabe had to die first. You had to tell the real story, and you had to tell the uncomfortable stories. Or you you get a you get the historic the history version from Vince McMahon. <laughs> <laughs> where, where there's nothing bad that happens. It's all positive. Andre the Giant gave back to the business, unlike Bret Hart. Do, do, do you think they would have to do, like, just stories that are more recent? Because I don't think, I don't know if they would be, like, I can't imagine people, like, tuning in to something that happened, like, in the eight, like, even, like, in the 80s or even beyond that because it's Lucha oh, no, Libre. Yeah, you know, I would love, if, if there was somebody, if I was going to talk about a wrestler who's career was uh, involved in great heights uh, but also great scandal and eventually led to a violent death in a bar, it would be Luis... uh, Okay, I might be forgetting his actual name. I want to say Luis Hernandez, but I might be wrong. But he was the original uh, El Gladiador in Mexico Mm -hmm. in the 1950s. This guy was a Huge. I mean, this guy was box office potential, but he was kind of like a Dr. Jerry Graham in that he went into bars and got into lots of fights. And um, his story, I think, would be a really, really fascinating story. But I think you would have to have a really clever uh, TV producer or director or what, you know, somebody who makes a documentary to get the average American fan interested in something from another era and from another country. I think it could be done, but I don't think I could do it. Oh, see, that's the problem. You'd be the only one that could do it. <laughs> Who else are they going to interview? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, because I'd be impressed if somebody, yeah, I would be impressed if somebody could do a dark side of the ring where, like you're saying, they took, they took uh, some characters from the 60s or 70s, some wrestlers, yeah. and somehow were able to make it to where people wanted to tune in. I mean, how do you how do you hook people into something that was that far in the past? I, I, I think a lot of the people, even historically minded wrestling fans, are kind of more in tune to what happened going back to the emergence of the national WWF in the 1980s. Yeah, because I mean, if you're if you're watching like the the show right now, it's like it's basically all 80s forward that they've done um, stories on. And a lot of it is a lot of guys who were in WWE at some point. So they kind of have the WWE talking point added to it. So people are like, oh, yeah, I remember him in WWF or WWE. It's not a lot of like, there's not a, I don't think they've, I don't think they've done too many that have been from guys who haven't been. In, yeah. So, I mean, and so it's going to be a lot yeah. of hard. Plus, you're not going to find a lot of guys to interview because every single one of these shows has some expert, you know, like Jim Cornette, uh, you know, some wrestler that knew that guy. Uh, some historian that knew him. I mean, honestly, in Lucha Libre, I don't know if you're going to find a lot of guys who know a lot about anybody from the like pre '85 or pre um, 1990. No, you, you they'd be having having to reach out to guys like you and Cubs fan and those type of people. And uh, <laughs> neither one of us would want to be on TV. <laughs> I know exactly. Maybe they, maybe they, they could uh, locate Steve Sims. <laughs> 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 you know, we'd be the first people on the show that are are like um, in in you know they they show our silhouette and change our voice just so they don't the so people don't see us. <laughs> people would be like, "Man, these guys must be very like criminals or something that they but they know history." <laughs> we will refer to this man here as Mister X. 
Although his real name is Alfredo of Sparsa, he lives in Pomona, California, Walnut Kills. You know who I think is the guy, the one person that they could probably do it on that would actually like work, would be Art Bar, Love Machine. Oh, that would be a good one. I bet you they could pull that off. Because not only, because not only. Not only do you have the AAA run, but you have a lot of stuff that happened before that with Portland, and then his WCW story, which you know how it ended because of that whole issue in Portland, and then you have a lot of yeah. wrestlers who knew him, like Conan, um, and you know the the Eddie guys. Guerrero. Well, no, the ones that are alive right now that are like you basically have. Well, honestly, you have Conan. Yeah, but, I, but I'm saying if you're doing this on Art Bar, I bet you one of the things that you could put people in is if very early in the show you emphasize that he was like the right-hand man of uh, Eddie Guerrero. Yeah, I'm sure. I'd be curious if Vicky actually knew um, Art Bar too, so that's that's something else that would actually... And Chavo also, he's still around. That's true, yeah. 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 But, it, and it's, it's interesting, some of the dark side shows, I wonder if the same person is doing all the episodes, because some... Like, I thought the Gino Fernandez one overall was done pretty well and was neat to see his mother chime in on stuff. I, you know, never heard that side of the story. Yeah. But then the Herb Abrams one, it was kind of a fun roller coaster ride, but there's a lot of goofy shit. One, they didn't really say anything about the police report of actually how he died. And then they did that stupid, stupid ass thing toward the end where. One of his buddies says, oh, I think he's still alive. <laughs> oh, man. You know? No. It's cool if Jim Morrison is still alive. If he's still alive, that's bitching. Her favorite who gives a rat's ass. Yeah. Yeah, with, with, with Art Bar, I just think there's so much in the sudden death that he had. I, I, well, actually, his, I think it... Oh, you said his son passed away, didn't he? That's a sad story. Yeah. His son Dexter was, I guess, horseback riding when he was 14, and I don't know if he just fell or, or if he hit a branch of a tree, but he was yeah. killed instantly, apparently. I was just curious to see, because I think that's the one person that trans, that trans, you know goes beyond Lucha Libre. He was in WCW and all that stuff, so it, there's enough of him where, you know, there's that would be a... And he was a guy who was going to become a star. Uh, I mean, a second chance in the United States was on and, you know, in the horizon, too. I, so. know, I know that he read the observer and knew dave Meltzer, and well there's there's a sad irony that um he didn't live long enough to see that he was heel of the year uh tag team of the year match of the year all in the all in uh um 1994 am i remembering correctly 1994 yeah. yeah but i mean that was pretty incredible to be this this guy who, even though he had quite a following, to one year suddenly just bam, like <laughs> he probably could have swept more of those awards that year. Yeah, yeah. The other th- it, was, it was impressive. I think the other the other stories they could look into are the, all all the in ring deaths in Lucha Libre. Um, the most recent ones being Silver That's King true. and and Paraguayo Junior. But you also have Oro and Sangre India. I mean, those I think. All four of them are, are very good. I think all four of those you could add some, you could get well, especially the last two, you have a lot of guys who are around, uh, with Aguayo and Silver King and Oro, there's still a lot of guys who are actually even in the match that can talk about that. But um that's, that's true. That those are a couple of um other characters some stories that they could do. Just because and yeah. they were all guys who were like well, Sangre India and Oro were guys who were kind of like moving up 
whereas Aguayo Jr. and um, Silver yeah, King were originally. Yeah, yeah, both of them. I mean, Oro looked like he was headed for really good things. Sangre India, I mean, I, I think he was like rookie of the, rookie of the year. Yeah. Previous year, he got his first uh, uh, Apuestas match against, I think it was Chamaco Valaguez. Wow. Uh, and I and I think just like maybe a week or two later is when he passed away in the ring and just a just a freak thing from what I understand just yeah uh, took a backwards bump you know over the ropes I mean something a lot of guys have done a hundred times and just you know just hit wrong and uh, I remember I think he broke his spine and you know died of shock. Yeah, there's there was a there was a uh, one of the magazines I went through. There was somebody who um, it was the anniversary of his passing, and they gave um, mm-hmm. they had a reporter that was there, and he wrote down his memory of what happened that day during that match, and he just wrote everything like mm-hmm. like he just told the entire story of what his experience was. Oh, did he really? Yes, it was really good. I think it's one of in one of the magazines. I did translate it. I think. Oh wow! Yeah. If so, you ever find it, I, I'd love to. Yeah, and then with Aura, obviously yeah. there, and you know, even with Sangre India, there's a lot of wrestlers that were still in that during that time period that are still kind of active, and a few that are retired. Um, you still have Tony Salazar and all those guys around, Nero Casas. Um, I'm sure they all know the story. Yeah. So there's there's still a lot of people. Yeah. Uh, well, I remember when I when I first knew Conan, like you know, that was in the '80s, so he knew a lot of guys who were, you know, actually on the show that night, mm-hmm. and. I remember asking about it, and he says, he, and, he, and the way he put it is, the guys will bring it up, but then they'll talk about it for about 10 seconds, and then they they just look really sad and don't want to talk about it anymore. Apparently, it really that was really traumatic for a lot of the boys. Yeah, yeah. Well, they still, I mean, there's still so many, like, I think Oro also, I, I think Felino's the one that said he can't talk about it. Um, I think Felino was in that match, wasn't he? Um, Oh no! Actually, Felino, that was when they were doing that really hot Cyclone Ramirez feud, and they were supposed to have a mask versus mask that night. And they did the mask, but they did the match, but they went to like a no contest. Yeah, because they did of the whole oral thing had just happened. Yeah, and yeah. you could tell, like, even though their moves were solid, you could tell they were phoning in that match. And yeah, like, let's just get through the evening. Let's get out of here. Yeah, because I think I think they asked Felino about him, and he still can't talk about it. He was, he's still, um, yeah, and yeah. I, you know, I can imagine even though it was no fault of chaos, chaos was the last guy who was wrestling with Oro in the ring and that, that must, that must be rough on him. Yeah. I, I, I can't imagine that. I mean, and, and you know, then there's a couple of other, um, obviously Abismo Negro's death. That's one of those mysteries that, um, what did he do? Like step out of a bus and next thing you know, like he disappeared and they found him dead afterwards or something? Yeah. yeah. If that wasn't something odd where he demanded that they pull the bus over. Yeah. Yeah. Over it was like, the... but there was never like no story about it. He just passed away and they moved on. And it's like, that's something that. It, it sounded like, it sounded like one, like that there could have been room for an investigation, but there wasn't, you know, I think it was. I think it was just because he had so many issues leading up to that that they kind of were like, "Oh, yeah. it was going to catch up to him at some point." And yeah, yeah, this is true. The guy was like a like that guy was a huge star, and um, he probably would have been a far bigger star than he ever was. But he just had oh, the demons. Did, if he didn't have his issues, he would, he would have been huge. Yeah. I oh gosh, I remember. I don't remember what the podcast was called, but um, it was a podcast. 
podcast where they look into unusual scandals from unusual walks of life, and they actually did. Uh, we're going to look into the wacky world of Lucha Libre and one of the strangest stories is of Obismo Negro. Wow. And I was looking forward to it, but man, you know how sometimes people who don't know a lot about pro wrestling do their best to try to understand it? And, yeah. You know, they do what they can. These guys had no clue about pro wrestling and were just so cocky about their analysis of the Bisno Negro's death. And there was some theory that uh, his drug use was maybe because he was truly a great amateur wrestler and he felt so silly that he had to put on funny costumes to make money. Oh, jeez. <laughs> God. I was so tempted to find one of their phone numbers and just, just tell them what assholes they are. But They must have not yeah. seen him wrestle as winners. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I think... I, I, I was half expecting to say... Well, his brother Winners said, this is a terrible tragedy, yeah. and I miss my brother Abysmo Winners all the time. But see, day. I think the hard thing with Abysmo Negro is that you're not going to get anybody telling the truth. Because, I mean, he his whole drug issue, I mean, they'll talk about that, but they won't talk about the other stuff. So it's like, they're not going to talk about the other, you know, the the you know the dirtier, the, the uglier side of it, the darker side of it. Um, I don't think you're going to have, like, his family talk about it. Um, certain no, rest, certain yeah. wrestlers aren't going to want to talk about it, and there's a lot of wrestlers that knew him that were around him, and I don't think they would talk about it. The other yeah, thing, yeah, I, I remember that night. I remember that night when uh, I was on the sports arena show yeah. with uh, Superboy and Capitan, and I remember he he came into the dressing room. It was when he was still under the mask as winners. But yeah, that's the first time I saw his face. I I thought, damn, he's a handsome guy. Why does he wear a mask? But he came in there and was super nice to everybody. My first thought was, oh, how nice, you know, uh, because I don't think they did this in the uh, other AAA towns, but um, they kept the local boys' dress room separate from the big timers, which I thought was kind of fucked up. But anyway, Winners came in, and I thought, oh, how nice. He's actually coming in to say hey to everybody. And then Superboy <laughs> recently told me, no, he wasn't coming in to say hi. Some, you know, some some smartass said that I was holding and that he could get drugs from me. <laughs> <laughs> That's why he came in all smiles. Oh, jeez. Like, hey, buddy. <laughs> Super, we know Superboy. He's not the guy who's going to be holding a, a, a Kia Coke. Yeah. But see, that's what I mean. You're not going to you're not going to find people like talking about that stuff. Um, but, exactly. Yeah. Another story that I think would have would make a really interesting episode of Dark Side of Lucha would be Charlie Manson. Remember him in prison? Oh, that's a great <laughs> one. Oh my God, if they could, especially if, if you could uh, get the cops to beat up to talk on uh, Yes, one of them one one was paralyzed. <laughs> was he really? I think so. I oh, think I so. didn't know yeah. that. I mean, there's a lot. I mean, first of all, the whole character just leading up to it, telling you about the character you know, basically, it's exactly. a combination of Charles Manson and Marilyn Manson turned into a professional wrestler. And it's Charlie Manson, who actually isn't a bad guy. He's actually a really like a, a very, um, you know, a very easy to get along with type of guy. Although this time he just, you know, and he, he's told the story a few times of what happened in that incident. So I think they could probably get he's the one guy I think you could probably get to talk about that. 
and he'll be honest about it. Um, I don't know. I don't know if he'll like really talk about what happened to the the police officers he beat up. But I mean, you could always bring whoever you know has that report. They could talk about it. Kind of kind of like a a a Mister Niebla, where he would be pretty open about it. Yeah, but um, so you have that, and then you also have that one accident he had while wrestling in AAA when he fell. Remember when he fell off the ladder? Heard about that. Yeah, that I, that was horrible. I mean, I, they, you know, that's what these promotions. This, this is what these shows want. These shows want like, you know, they want some outrageous stuff. You sh- you could show that, and then you go go to that because you're gonna show about his career. You're you're gonna want to show that. Um, and oh, then, definitely, yeah. definitely. I, you know, I've never I've never seen that footage. I've never wanted to look for it. I heard it was just. Really that's bad really bad. Looking. It's really bad. But yeah, he would get Prince. I I still get nauseous if I see either Sid Vicious or uh, was it Coronda. Yes. When, when their legs just yes, when their legs just snap. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, well, Charlie's wasn't like he he didn't snap. He just fell. So it looked mm-hmm. brutal, but it looked very painful. But um, I I think his he, I think he's probably the one of out of everyone that you could get to do to talk about their their story. He's probably the one that's going to be the most open about it. Um, another story I thought about, and Kurt, this is one that happened recently. Uh, remember the family. The Alvarado family destroying Ultimo Guerrero's car. <laughs> I was hoping that we would have a good way to segue into that because I don't know if it's an anniversary or yes. somebody's gotten into more trouble. But I've been, as I've been casually cruising online this morning, as I was just kind of, you know, shaking the cobwebs from my head. Um, a lot of people are bringing up that incident. Yeah. Is there a reason it's being brought up again? It's the it's the three-year anniversary of them getting fired. It was on May 20th. It was yesterday. That is one of the strangest, strangest... Well, the... the, the I should mention the people who got fired were um, Maximo, La Mascara, and Bobby Zavala, who somehow just got thrown in there. Nobody actually knows what his part was in this. Um, other than him being a little bit of a sleaze, sleazy guy... Um, that's pretty much all that we know about. But La Mascara and Maximo were on, uh, caught on tape, as they say, because there was video of them yeah. actually wrecking Ultimo Guerrero's car. Uh, which you know, actually, interestingly enough, is that they're actually you could probably get a lot out of this because the the lead up to that was basically all the whole union issues that they were having with um the passing of Brasso de Oro. So you definitely have a lot more to it. Besides just a bunch of, you know, a family of wrestlers destroying a car of another fellow wrestler. And it's, and it's really, yeah, and, and the whole thing, like, I, you know, who knows what went on in that meeting after Brasso de Oro's uh, passing. Yeah. But there, you know, hard feelings fly hard in pro wrestling. I'm sure some of those meetings can get nasty. But, but that's like unprofessionalism to go trash Ultimo Burrow's car, especially when a lot of these guys probably had jobs on CMLL for as long as they wanted. Yes. They, I mean, and then they we would have been... It. Yeah. The, for those who don't aren't familiar with the whole story, it basically consisted of, um, who was it? The entire Alvarado family, well, not all of them, were, made it on video. But you basically had La Mascara, Maximo, Brasto de Platino, I think, was there, and Psycho Clown. Psycho Clown was not wearing his clown mask. He was actually just wearing a hoodie, a hoodie and that covered up his um, head, I think. He was, I think he was wearing um, a hoodie and maybe some sunglasses, just so you wouldn't see. He, 
you know, I, I theorize he would have gotten away with it. He was the one. He was the one that was going to get away with it, basically. Yeah. See, see, he should get away. I think he should get away with it. They would have not known it was him if he just dressed up as Peppino the Clown from Teutonic. Well, the, I mean, they knew who it was. Everybody just be- would say, "Hey, that's Peppino from Argentina. It, that's not Psycho." Clown. But it, it, he, it, they knew just because of the size and stuff, which which was obvious. But um, I think other than maybe getting into trouble legally. He was he was the one that had no, and obviously Brasso Platino and there was a couple of people involved in it, other Brasso um, Alvarado family members that weren't part of CMLL, so they weren't going to get in trouble. But I mean, the fact that La Mascara and Maximo were working for CMLL, and these were two guys that had jobs for life in CMLL, they were r- willing to risk that. Not only did they get fired, they pretty much lost. They they've they've done very little since then. I mean, they both landed on AAA. Um, La Mascara ended up leaving AAA because he really wasn't getting a push. Maximo has is I think he's still kind of there, although right now with the whole pandemic, who knows? Um, it's yeah. they really were guys who had um, the t- they they fit exactly what CML wanted. Just guys who were just there to like you know for whatever their character was, and they did not fit outside of CML. They weren't guys that fit you know the independents, AAA. I mean, obviously Maximo being an exotico, he fit there as that, but. That's basically yeah. a in AAA. That's a spot that's pretty much slotted into like a mid card role, whereas mixed Maxi- Maximo and I mean, I always, Maximo and CMLL was a main, main eventer. So you know, yeah, I dig, I, I I dug Max Maximo, but when they gave him that huge push, and I like that push, and I thought he really put his working boots yeah. on during that push, but I don't see any other place willing to give him that push than CMLL. So. Man, he had he had a nice, snug, secure spot. He had a job. He had a good job. And there you go. Yeah. Mascara, on the other hand, was an I, idiot. I know he, he was an idiot because he was invisible in the first place. Yes. And, you know, he had a job for I, life. But I understand he's in, invisible elsewhere. Yes, he's done nothing since since leaving, and it's like it, it, they, he doesn't even get like. People don't even really book him. They don't really like before the pandemic. I mean, he wasn't anywhere. I mean, he did he did the whole Nacion Lucha Libre with Alberto's um, the group that Alberto Patron started. But it's like that wasn't anything. And you know, after that, he didn't do anything beyond that. He hasn't. I mean, he's probably just he, the one thing he's probably happy about is that Rush became an independent wrestler because that now gives him a, at least that you know he gets to be the third guy in the. In the yes, in the exactly. Gobernables yeah. on the independent scene, not in AAA. It's funny. Somebody like Angel de Orlo, Oro loses his mask, and it's the best thing that could have ever happened yeah. to him. Because I never disliked Angel de Oro, but he was just, you know, he was kind of wallpaper in a sea of really charismatic people. Then he lost his mask, and his face just loses charisma. But yeah. then Lamasra loses his mask, and yeah, kind of looks like he does with his mask. <laughs> I just remember when he lost the the mask, how how everybody like pointed out how he didn't even like have a reaction. It was like, oh, I guess I lost here. Here's my mask, and and he's like, that's just the kind of guy I am. And it's like, wow, that's wonderful. <laughs> that's idiotic. Yeah. Why why have a main event? You put two masks on the line. Is it going to draw people? Don't give a rat's ass if I lose my mask. No, it's it's a bet. It's supposed to be 
it's your persona, you should be crestfallen. Yeah. Same when, same when somebody loses their hair. Act like you're disappointed at the yes. very least. Yeah. You know, cry in front of a mirror or anything. Just, you know, just if you get your head shaved and says, oh, well, I'm bald now, you know, just like, Christ. I think I think the only thing going against this, like being something that they could do as as a, an episode, would be obviously Ultimo Guerrero probably would never talk about this, <laughs> and neither would the Alvarado family. So I think I think it'd be kind of hard just yeah, to like yeah yeah none of them would want to talk about it. Ten years. <laughs> yeah, maybe in ten years they might actually open up about it. Uh, that would be interesting. Yeah, that would be very interesting. Another story yeah. that I think I think you could do like. A twenty. Well, maybe you could put them both together. Although you could probably do them separately. That twenty days in nineteen eighty six, April nineteen eighty six. Within twenty days, we lost El Solitario, and then there was a car accident. That we lost That's Angela Blanco. Yeah. I mean, you and, could have two stories. And and Doctor Wagner being yeah. injured. Yeah. And that the three of them were weren't they like inseparable? Yeah, La Ola Blanca. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, fact, I don't, I don't know, I don't know if this is a myth or not, but I heard like right before the car wreck that um, Blanco and Wagner were like talking about Solitario and just talking about how how much it's hitting them and wow. the car wreck happened. I don't know if that's just somebody waxing poetic or not, but yeah, I mean, you could do you could do two episodes on each on each per, like an episode on each just because Solitario was a huge star. I mean, I don't think people realize how big a star he was. And the, and there's a lot of like, there's a lot of question marks concerning his passing because there's a lot of people exactly. who, who don't there's really know. There's a lot of mystery behind that and a lot of speculation. Yeah, that would, man, that would make a great episode. Because I think, I think the, I think the, the, what they've said, it's, it's kind of like what happened with David Von Erich, the passing of David Von Erich, where they kind of said it was like an, an an intestinal or stomach issue that he had or something. That's right. They said it was. Uh, they said it was something like enteritis. Yeah. And then I heard the whole, the total opposite end where, oh God, it's embarrassing the way wrestlers used to think back then. I remember getting a call from somebody. Did you hear how David Von Erich died? And I go, Oh yeah, he was found in this hotel room. And go, No, no, no! Didn't you hear? He was in a match in Japan, and he was so coked up that his heart exploded out of his chest. Oh, jeez. And, and the person believed it, too. Oh, God. And if you looked at the person, you wouldn't think this is a dumbass, but the person believed it. Yeah. So, so but it's, it, and it sounds like, if, you, if you're going to guess, it sounds like it could have been accidental overdose, it could have been suicide, it could have been mixing alcohol and pills. I don't know, but, you know, I, 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 that was the first wrestling death where I remember just being like, where I remember hearing about it the day it happened, because you remember growing up, we didn't get news about a wrestler dying until usually three months yeah. afterwards at the a- a- aftermath. So I was totally, like, tripped out when I heard, oh, David Von Erich died last night. And, you know, that that was a shocker, and I was watching the W. Uh, CW takes like religiously at the time. You know that that nineteen eighty three year was amazing wrestling. Yeah. yeah. Well, the car accident also. I mean, there was other Hungla Negra, Solar, and Mano Negra were in that car accident. They're still around. To like, they could also talk about it. That's the that's the that's the one true, thing. Yeah. And apparently, those guys went. 
I know Solar said he had a he had a rough period afterwards that he spent like several months where he couldn't sleep because he just kept thinking he kept oh, wow. remembering about the he had some sort of um you know mental breakdown because of it. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh, I heard that's common on people. Yeah. Like, you know, there's probably survivor skills. Yeah. Like, why did they survive? Why did I survive and they didn't? You know that that's very common. You know, understandable too. Yeah, and huge stars in that in that car accident too. So that's that's. You know, I don't know. It's it's. I, so I, mean, I, think, I, I, I think I think we have a lucha world side of the uh, uh, ring coming up, uh, episode after episode. Of what? We're talking about uh, tragedies. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, all these different people uh, go from from Gladiador to on uh, Blanco, Dr. Wagner and on Blanco. Yeah, huge start. I mean, they're huge start. And you still and you have a lot of people who can talk about those guys. Even like with Solitario, there's still a lot of people around that can talk about it. Uh, I think, the, like I said, the trouble is like trying to pe- get people to understand how big a star they are, coming from a, a credible source that they that people might believe. Uh, you know, that might be the that yeah. might you probably have to get like Conan on there and. I don't know if people are gonna Conan like. Conan can talk about that. Yeah. Conan was actually a really huge fan of Solitario because I saw Solitario because he had come into L.A. every mm-hmm. now and then, and you know I could tell he was really cool, yeah. and charismatic. But when I first knew Conan, he actually emphasized it. He says, "No, Kurt, you don't understand. This is like a Mexican Roddy Pipe or somebody who just the room all turns to him yeah. when he enters it. Like this guy was was just so dynamic." Huge. Yeah, he, he he was he was a good wrestler too, but even if he wasn't a good wrestler, he would have been over. Yeah, I mean, and obviously, like like with the with the car accident, that changed so much of what happened in wrestling in the in the you know the the following years with you know Doctor Wagner's career ending and and Anhel Blanco passing away. Although they were kind of towards their tail end of their careers, but still, you know that yeah. you still see so many guys who stick around for a couple of years just to like help. Yeah, it was an end. It was an end of an era. It was a really sad end. Yeah, because all their deaths were really the two deaths and the permanent injury of Doctor Wagner. I mean, that was that was very sad. It wasn't just like a passing of the torch where their careers were winding yeah. up. And you know the These other guys thing were like one of the most I- iconic trios. Uh, you know, years before they started feuding with each other. Yeah, especially so, especially uh, in Lucha Libre where these guys are like, you know, fans kind of hold on to their, their their stars for a very long time. Like they, you know, a guy could be like 70 years old and they're still like, this guy can still go. We need him back in CMLL, you know, like with yeah, Rayo de Jalisco yeah, and all these guys. Yeah. Like, so these guys would have been around like, a, little, a lot longer if this didn't happen. Um, another story that I, I actually like told you about off air and because I was re- trying to remember, and this is actually, I was telling you that I think this one might be the one that they would actually want the most. It's the 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 story of Juana Barraza, who wrestled as La Dama de Silencio, but she is better known amongst, you know, the news as La Mata Viejitas, the, the old lady killer. Uh, she actually killed between 24 to 49 women ranging between the age of 60 or older and she actually became what you said a serial killer so um yeah in fact in fact i don't know if i'm remembering this correctly but i think i remember she's probably the most prolific serial killer in mexican history <laughs> gee see look I at that she had, she had, 
Yeah, I think she has the highest body count of, as far as serial killers go in Mexico. I mean, if you want to top something in, in, on the dark side of the ring, here you go. Juana Barraza. There you go. <laughs> that's one I bet you... Okay, that's one I bet you would have good odds if they wanted to do a dark side of the ring on Viceland today. I bet you they could pull that one off. She's still All you a- have to do is say she was a masked lady wrestler and she killed more people than... <laughs> I, I think that would be the one they would they would and then they would probably want to ask us to be on the show and we'd be like no <laughs> well you would want you would you would say yes <laughs> i would say yes well 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 i i have a request you know i always jokingly refer to you as refer to you as a freewheeling franklin freak uh-huh. so what i want you to do is during this covid time since we're not going to barbers i want you to grow a big handlebar mustache <laughs> like franklin freak I want you to get a big leather cowboy hat, and I want you to appear there under the name Alfredo Esparza, but I want you to talk like you're one of the fabulous furry freak brothers, and <laughs> I'll grow a beard, and I'll be Phineas for you. Yeah. This is gold. Trust me. This will be gold. And if they're not going to do it, we have to. I, I, think they, I think there's so much that they get out of this just because... I. She was. She went to. She went to prison. She actually did. She. They were able to catch her. She went to prison, and she got married in prison too, uh, which is what? yeah. She got married. Uh, well, you know how it is. Guys fall in love with women that go to prison for what? I, this is something that and I vice, and vice versa. Yeah, especially here in the states. I had no idea. Women falling in love with killers all the time. Yeah, and guess what? She got a divorce like within a year, and she started looking for another <laughs> husband. And I was like, holy crap! Oh my what's- god. She's just like she's. Oh, they they were talking to one of the the. I, there's this um. There's this news um report, and they were talking to this one woman um uh, that works within the, the 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 jail, and she's like, yeah, she walks around. She's got a couple of of, of girls walking around with her, that I guess they're her. I guess they're her um. You know her bodyguards her, her, her or whatever. Girls? Yeah, her girls, whatever you. They're her entourage, and it's like. She acts. She's. She looks fine. She doesn't look very remorseful or anything. She did say she did feel bad about it and hopes God for, forgives her. But it's like I don't think she really. She probably doesn't care oh. that much. Do you? Do you it, okay, just as you said that, do you? If you ever have an address for her in prison, you want to write to her. Write her a long let, I want to write her a long letter from God saying, "No, you're not going to be forgiven." <laughs> And every time you feel an irritation or a boil or even a little laceration, that's me punishing you and it's just going to get worse. That's, yeah. That's what and I, I honestly, I think the fact that this is a story that became so, um, was so public, I, I think this is probably the one that they could, it's vice. I mean, they've done a very good job of doing, they don't just do the wrestling documentaries. They've done other documentaries besides that. They should be able to get this. I mean, this would actually be something that I would think would fit perfectly on, on their, um, this series of Dark Side of um, of the Ring, and the yeah. final one that I remember is the Espectrito and La Parquita murders. Um, they were murdered in a hotel room by two women, and that was actually one of those. Um, I think that that became like a big story for a while, which you know it was a huge story. Yeah. In fact, there was some talk. I don't know if it's coming to fruition or not, but there was some talk of somebody trying to work that into a screenplay. Wow. I think. I mean, that does kind of make sense, you know. It 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 could be done in a very strange David Lynch way, or it can be done actually in a very straightforward, you know, almost docudrama way. That's one that could 
I think they could pull off if they wanted to. I think the last two are really the, like the two stories. I think that would really fit that um that whole thing. Although you don't have the name value of other of like the other, you know, it doesn't exactly. have it doesn't have wrestlers that were name values that name value that to even like the fans. Um, but still, yeah. you know, the the stories are so um, wild that. It, oh, it, uh, one of the wildest ones to me, and we covered this on an uh, older edition of Lucha World, is uh, Poncho Valentino, the priest killer. Ah, yes. He wasn't a huge, yeah, he wasn't a huge star, but he, I mean, he was enough where he dropped his hair to Cabernario Galindo at one point. He wrestled here in the States, too. He was actually an American. Wow. But, uh, yeah, Poncho Valentino... He's, it's the only time I heard of a wrestler getting his nickname having nothing to do with wrestling. In fact, he never wrestled once he got the nickname. He is called the Priest Killer because he and some guys tried to rob a priest and uh, killed the priest in the process. And uh, he went to prison. He found God, and they were eventually going to let him out. And he was going to preach the gospel and. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of funny, actually. Right before he got out, he uh, he had a seizure and just uh, got asphyxiated on his own vomit. So, you Jeez. know, sometimes there's humorous endings to stories like that. So, so of all these stories, you think none of them will make it onto Dark Side of the Ring, right? Not a one. Not a one. <laughs> although, the one although the one about the serial the woman serial killer, I think that one. If they tried, they could really pull that off. Yeah, I think th- I think that would be a Brady's blockbuster. Uh, and I'm it won't, it won't now do the own hard one. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. I I kind of think like just because they're gonna run out of stuff, and I mean, there's been a lot of death in wrestling, but not everyone's died in the way where you're gonna tell a whole story about. You know, it's not gonna be like. A, I, know if they, if, I mean, the Road Warriors one was a stretch. Hard. Yeah, the Road Warriors is one where if they're not careful. Every episode is going to look the same. Yeah. Oh my God! I fell into drugs and alcohol, and you know they'll show a close up of the actor playing them looming yes. over a glass of vodka in a foggy shot. Because that's every single wrestler. I mean, you could just go through every single wrestler that passed away. He died that way. It's like honestly. Oh hell yeah, yeah, yeah! I mean, you know, uh, <laughs> I keep. I wonder if they're going to do Doctor Jerry Green this episode. <laughs> Well, I mean, I, I, I think what they're probably going to do, I, I think they're probably going to do Brian Pillman at some point. I would think so. Yeah. I, would, I would not be shocked if they do Dynamite Kid. Dynamite Kid. There's there's so many guys that, like, from, like, the... Like, I'm telling you, they're just going to do 80s and forward. They're not, like, the older yeah, stuff. And I they agree. should. I think they should try some of the older stuff just because I think there's a lot of fans that maybe don't realize that there was crazy stuff going on back in the day, too. It's true, it's true. In fact, you know, a, a, as crazy as I thought of, you know, was, sometimes I hear stories that are even crazier than I previously realized, you know. It's, it's funny, I remember when I started getting smartened up in, you know, the early 80s, you know, a number of wrestlers who, you know, pretty intelligent people, not just, you know, people who fell off a bus, you know. A lot of them believed some of the weirdest urban myths in wrestling, one of them being that... Uh, Bruno's victory over Buddy Rogers was an actual shoot, hmm. and a lot of you know, despite what guys will tell you, a lot of guys really believed that back then. A lot of knowledgeable people in the biz believed it was a shoot, but 
uh, where was I going with this? Oh my God, I'm getting old. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know where I was going with this. What it was was I used to think, wow, there's a lot of crazy shit that happens in wrestling. Yeah. And then as I got older, I realized, oh, a lot of that stuff is just urban myth or stuff that was greatly exaggerated by wrestlers. But sometimes when you find out the actual truth, it's just as strange. Uh, it just doesn't why it, it just doesn't come out quite as well in, in an anecdote or a beer drinking story. It's, yeah, but it's equally strange. I think the hard thing now is that they did the Owen Hart episode, and it's going to be so hard to like captivate an audience after that. It's going to be a little hard. If, it, yeah, if you're just, I agree. I mean, because it's like if you're going to go with stories with oh, so and so did drugs and he passed away. It's like yeah, I mean that's everyone. I mean, everybody's gone through yeah, that. Yeah, before you know it, before you know it, everybody who was a non-wrestling fan who watched those episodes saying, wow, wrestlers are as big as junkies on the face of this earth. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's got to be like, I think the Dino Bravo one was good also. I thought that was good. Um, that was good, yeah. yeah the, Doctor, yeah. the Dr. D one, actually, I actually found more entertaining just because we were at Cauliflower Alley Club, yeah. the club and his speech bored the hell out of me. That uh, this was way better than that. I, I, I found I, I grew to appreciate him a little more. Yeah, well, I'll have to check that one out next. Yeah, time. and John Stossel's a tall dick on there also. So. <laughs> oh, Stossel's such a douchebag. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, you know, when I was a little kid, uh, Soupy Sales used to have a show where, um, you know, it, it was it was like a you know funny silly half hour kids show. And every show would end with him trying to finish the episode without getting a pie in his face. But every episode would end with somebody somehow throwing a pie in his face. And he'd have this disheveled look. I would like to have a half-hour weekly series with John Stossel. And no matter how hard he tries, he gets smacked across the head at the end of every episode. <laughs> you, that you, would be a sweet, sweet well, series. Well, if you watch the Dr. D sh- uh, episode... You're gonna want Doctor D to slap him again. <laughs> that's how bad he is. That's that's what I've heard. What little I've heard. Yes. I've, I've been noticing people on Facebook and Twitter saying, "God damn, Stossel's a douchebag," and I agree with them. Yeah. I I mean I I I I enjoy the series just because you know anything that's gonna look into wrestling and they could do it in a very and they've done it very well. They haven't gone. Um, um, I do kind of think the New Jack one was a little too off, like a little too weird, but. Uh, and the Road Warriors one was. I heard that. I haven't watched it yet. Yeah. I, I don't know if I'm ready to. I yeah. That one was kind I, of they probably could have done. Yeah. It, but it's like they, they're all good. I, I don't think we're expecting. I think what the problem is that you're expecting like death in these, and maybe some of them aren't supposed to have death. So like it's a little bit easier to watch. Yeah, because well, you have to remember, you're probably this is probably catering towards, you know, I, I, I'm sure a lot of this picture that there are people like us watching this. Yeah. Movie, but I bet you. They're catering this to a lot of casual fans. And you have to put it in a nutshell. You have 45 minutes to get your story told. Yeah. So you can't go as in-depth as we would like to, like in a book or a newsletter or something like that. Did, did they do one on the Montreal Screwjob? Yeah, I, I didn't watch Yeah, that I skipped that. I've heard that story a million, million, <laughs> million times, and I don't, I don't care if I never hear that story again. <laughs> I was trying to remember, because I'm like, I'm pretty sure I skipped one, and that was the one, because I, 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 I so burned out on the whole Montreal Screwjob thing. <laughs> I I am, and you know, it, it's like while while I was a, while I was a, a, a Bret Hart fan when it came to whose side I was on that one, 
eventually I just got so tired of hearing him bitch and moan about it and then expect everybody to just, you know, be okay with him going back to WWF and making amens, you know. It just, yeah. It's just, I... Yeah, I'm so tired of hearing about that. Well, I mean, personally, I mean, the fact that he went to WWE after his his brother died, I think that's even worse than the whole screw job thing. I did too. Yeah. I did too. Hey, I, you know, I know, I know a lot. I I know, it, I know. There's some folks who would agree with me wholeheartedly, but a lot who would say I'm awful for saying this. But I totally back Martha if she wants to keep acting yeah. and needling uh, Vince McMahon WWE I have no problem with that yeah, that it's... was her that was her husband and yeah. that, that was her kid's father I mean you know they and they want her to just get over it you know my mm. god yeah well I think that's about it for this episode Kurt you wanna you wanna end the show now or do you wanna continue on during this Let's this time where you can't go out <laughs> Yes, why don't we echo this one out? Why don't we go into the next astral plane? I just want to finish off by telling you what a beautiful night I had last night, Fredo. Elena Elena uh, went to go hang with uh, her bro aunts, you know, get a little brosis bonding time and just catch up. So I got a bottle of cheap Australian wine, <laughs> and I smoked this uh, stuff called Willie's Reserve brand Sativa and I mixed it with uh, with another strain I can't remember what it was but it's uh, 36% uh, THC I started cleaning the house I scrubbed the floors do you do you know what I was blaring on my headphones for most of that time when I was uh, cleaning the house, and if you could see how clean my house, you would, you, your mind would be blown. What? You know, I'm not the neatest person in the world, but you saw how immaculate the house looked right now. What? Was it Cannibal Corpse? <laughs> no? <laughs> yes, yes, vomit, vomited anal tract the song, uh, that I was listening to. <laughs> um, I listened to the live Kelly family. Album. Oh, jeez. <laughs> it's the most Kelly family I listened to in one sitting. And I am in a weird place because I realize this is art. This is amazing. But they are the dorkiest band <laughs> ever to set foot on a stage. They are like a mixture between real life uh, family musical group and uh, one of those best in show type mockumentaries where half the, the members are uh, former cast members of Second City Television. Hey, Fred Willard passed away recently too. I know! Oh, that bummed me out. Yeah. I was like, when they said he was 86, oh. I was like, man, he's 86? It's like, damn. I had no idea he was that old. Yes. I actually got to see him when I was in high school uh, on a field trip. I actually got to see uh, him and Martin Mole do a uh, Fernwood Tonight taping. Oh, wow. Which was really cool. And and he seemed like a cool guy. There there were a whole bunch of, like, teenage girls who were there who had a little Fred Willard fan club. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, they were all excited. And, and I got to say, in, in between the shoots... 
when they were yelling his name, he actually went there and actually spent time and chatted with him and did autographs. That's uh, cool. You know, I I don't know if he is that cool all the time, but he, he seemed like a he seemed like a good guy, and he was funny. So I guess that's a good way to end the show to give a salutation to a man, Fred Willard, who's life was well lived uh very entertaining cat and let's do this again really soon i really miss these lucha world podcasts and it yeah it is a good time to wind it up because i'm starting to stammer over my own words so (laughs) until then ladies and gentlemen stay safe stay home and while the right hemisphere of the brain short circuits the left hemisphere then the left hemisphere short circuit the right hemisphere and bing